evening. Um, it's good to be here, good to see you. Um, it's second time, so it obviously feels better coming here. I know how to get here a little easier, and I recognize the seating, and yeah, I recognize some faces that we met and said hello last week, or last week, last month. And for online viewers, even though we didn't get to meet um, eye to eye, uh, bless you, and thank you for joining us today as well. Um, today, the word um, is entitled, Don't Be Fooled. And the scripture passage comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. So we'll just go ahead and look over this first as we get started, and I'll go ahead and read for us. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ, as Lord with ourselves, as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. It took me about a good five times to get into the scripture because it's one of those scripture that is high packed with, you know, just a lot of words that sounds like each other. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know where you stand with this, but just go ahead and just dwell in it and just try to suck it in, right, with all the stuff, all the good stuff that it's got for us. Um, with that entitled, um, today is about not being fooled. Um, it does talk about the God of this age, God of this world. I don't know what version of the Bible you have, but I'm reading from ESV and it says, God, the God of this world, and it's the small g God. It's not God as we know, right? And he is there to do something, do some damage unto the people. And the way he does it is by blinding the minds of the people. And it's listed out this way, and I'll go a little deep into it, but I just want to start off by giving you an idea of what this looks like, how this kind of works. Now, just earlier today as I was setting out and I was, as I was getting ready for today, right, just trying to have my space, my quiet, my, my peace, my boys start running in, and they start calling each other out. My first is Sam. My second is John. My third is Jeremy. If you're watching, A, right? Sam, John, Jeremy. And, you know, basically Jeremy comes in running in saying, Dad, John hit me, <laughs> right? Kind of common for a family of multiples, right? And I'm like, what was that about? I don't know. He just hit me. So I called John over. John, what was that about? And John says, well, Jeremy was making fun of me, <laughs> you know. So I'm like just looking at him and I'm just like shaking my head, don't do that again. And sure enough, after a few minutes, the same thing happens, but this time John comes over. And John says, Dad, Jeremy kicked me. <laughs> so I'm like, what was that about? So I called Jeremy over, Jeremy, why would you do that? And he said, John is making fun of me. So you, you see, this is like an ongoing cycle, back to back. And I'm just looking at him, shaking my head. I'm just doing my dad thing. I'm just saying... You should not hit one another. You know, the Bible said, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that to my kids. But the idea is don't hit one another because this is wrong. No matter what, if you hit, the moment you hit, you are at fault. That's the rule of my house, right? When I sat down, I kind of thought about it because of the message that we got. And I realized that what my kids did is not much different than the things that I do. For example, this kid who hit the other brother is trying to justify his action by saying that the other guy has caused him <laughs> the anger that rightly is fitting for him to punch this guy out, right? 
But see, in the end of it, don't you guys agree? I mean, some of you guys are like big siblings. You know, you've, you've gone through this, right? If you get punched, you just got punched. <laughs> Doesn't matter, right? And no matter what, the outcome, the result is the same. But we always try to candy coat it in a bit, right? In hopes that it changes, it alters the face of what just happened. You with me? So, for instance, I, I recall when I was thinking back, and what, what did I do? What's relatable here? And we're talking to young people. And I don't know about you, but I was a little bit of a knucklehead when I was growing up. But I was a loser knucklehead. Remember last month I was telling you? I wasn't really cool. Neither was I academic. I was kind of in the loss, right? But I was kind of a knucklehead. I, I, I kind of enjoyed watching friends fight. You know what I'm saying? One of the most fun spectating thing to do is to watch people fight. So I was watching. But it was one of those occasions where we got caught, right? And we got called out. And, of course, my mom gets on my case and says, Daniel, you should not hang out in those places. And I'm telling her, Mom, it wasn't my intention to be there. But I got instigated by my friends to be there. Truth be told, it was me that wanted to be there, right? I wanted to watch it. But by me saying that, I'm hoping that I get off the loop, do I? No, my mom still gets on my case and she says, you shouldn't be there. It's your fault for being there. Get what I'm saying? In another form, which is even worse, I don't know about you, but I'm just revealing my dark past to let you know Jesus loves you, <laughs> right? In God, there is hope for everybody. So I'm just giving you some. You know, when, when I was growing up in junior high, there was something called progress report. Anybody know that? Progress report? Do you guys still have this? No? You do? Great. Back in my times, it got mailed in. Anybody like that anymore? No? It got mailed in. And when it gets mailed in, that's the day you hit the mailbox first. Doesn't matter, right? You, you're just on a watch and you get there. And when you get that, I forgot the, the term for that, like, grade report, the paper. But it's made in a way so that don't learn from my mistakes. Actually, things change now, so you can't even use this method. We were able to change our grades, <laughs> right? So if you got a D... You just put a little line in the middle and it looks like a B. You kind of get what I'm saying? So I'm trying to pull all these tricks because I'm thinking that this puts me out of the trouble by doing something like this. It's idiotic, I know, right? Praise God that I am who I am now because if it wasn't for God's grace, I would not be here, right? But you get my point? The point I'm trying to say is not how dark and evil I was, but the point is we do this. We do this. We try to cover up our tracks by justifying justifiable reasons to put out and say we're clear. And I want you to know, though, a little bit of a hope. When we think about them, we're like, dude, we're bad. That's right. We're, we, we're pretty bad. We're sinners. <laughs> right? But God already knew that, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> right? It doesn't put us any lower than where we should be because God knowingly, right, he has reached out and he has saved us. But here's the thing. The reason why we behave this way at times is related to the scripture that we just looked at. Because the God of this age wants to blind the minds of the people so that we cannot attain to the righteousness, the good stuff that God has for us. And this blindness that many times we think that it's something like blatant blindness that I just can't see. But see, the concept of blindness, which we will get in in a moment, is not quite blatant like that, but it's a gradual process. It's not outright black and black to the white, white to the black kind of thing, but it's a slight mixture going in from a percent to another. 
here, I want to start off by giving you the end result, the end point that I want to get at. Where is God trying to lead us with this? Well, he is blinding. The Satan is blinding the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. And that is important to us. The enemy is trying everything to keep us away from getting to the truth in the gospel. And here's the reason why. If you look to what Jesus did in his ministry on earth, right, when he first started, like many different accounts, but today I'm going to go from Luke chapter 4. Just, you don't have to even turn there. You just hear me tell the story through. Jesus starts off his ministry, and he's already started to, like, catch attention. But in the, the moment comes, chapter 4, and he just appears at that temple where all these religious folks are gathering. He shocks everybody by quoting a scripture from Isaiah 61. And you may have read this or heard this several times, but I'm going to go ahead and just read it for you. Isaiah 61, which is also quoted in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, goes like this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the ear of the Lord's favor. Jesus says all these things. And everybody's like, dude, we got this. Because a lot of these guys, they actually memorize the whole book, believe it or not, right? So they got this. And they're just listening in on Jesus. And you know what? The shocking thing he says is a few verses later, in verse 21, he says, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, the scripture has been fulfilled in me. And, of course, everybody got riled up at that point because they're like, who are you to say, you know, this holy word has been accomplished by me. Now, that's another message for another day. But the point I'm trying to address is this. When Jesus comes into the picture and he makes a proclamation, right, this proclamation is not just an introduction. But he's actually setting out a goal of his finished picture of what he is here on earth to accomplish. Are you with me? You with me? So he sets out the whole plan and says, here is the ultimate destination. This is what I'm here to do. Look, the spirit is in me. I'm here to set, the free, set free the captives. I'm here to bring to the sight the blind, those who are oppressed, those who are poor. I'm here to give them the ear of God's favor on them. This is God's plan. This is Jesus. You with me? So if you get this, you're on a good place. Because a lot of people, when I, you know, have the chance to meet new friends in various places. I had a season of my time where I traveled, I met people. And I would ask them, do you know what God wants to accomplish today? Everybody would just be either at a moot point or they would be just throwing out a Sunday school answer. You know what I'm saying? But you all are in a very good place because you know exactly what Jesus is here to accomplish. This is it. This is what God wants. This is what he is here to accomplish in the fullest of it. And of course, in the midst of it, there is a mention of blindness. Right? I believe all of these are tied together. Being in captivity, being oppressed, being poor, and being blind. I believe all are somewhat intertwined into the picture. But today, it's the dimension of learning what blindness really looks like. See, this blindness is not just a physical ailment. But it's shown also in emotional captivity, also in a spiritual limitation. As we go back to the scripture in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and 6. 
Now, if you can, just leave a bookmark on that Luke chapter 4, just in the, in the end of it, because that's where we're going to pray with at the end. But if you go back to 2 Corinthians 4, 4, 6, the activity of the enemy, again, we go back to it, is to blind the minds of the unbelievers, to blind us. You with me? So Jesus, what he's here to do is set free the people. But the enemy, what he's here to do is blind the people. Two sides of the fight. And if we know exactly what to go for, we know how to approach this fight. I don't know if you guys are into boxing. Are you? Do you guys watch like boxing bouts and stuff? You know, when you see the whole story behind the UFC or whatever you want to call, these guys on their process of training, they go through a rigorous process of figuring out the opponent. You know what I'm saying? They figure out what this opponent is strong at. So they build muscle against it. They have an evasive procedures, which I should not try to do because I'm not a boxer. You can tell right away, right? I look awful <laughs> trying to do this. But these guys, they work it out and they figure out where the weakness of the enemy is or the opponent in this case. And they work towards that. Oh, this guy's got a glass chin. I got to go for the uppercut. I got to go for the, you know, some kind of hook or something. They develop these things. Now, why I'm saying this is because we need to understand what kind of fight we're in for. Can you turn to your neighbor just really quick and say, we're in for a fight. Can we say that to each other? We're in for a fight. <laughs> Online folks, I wish you guys were here to watch what just happened. But anyway, we're in for a fight and the enemy is showing his side of the strategy, he doesn't willfully want to show it, but God's revealing it to us. What is he here to do? First, the God of this world, indica indicating devil. This devil wields much authority over this world. He behaves as God of this world. He really is. You know, you notice that Luke chapter 4, it just starts off right before Jesus being tempted by the enemy. Jesus being tempted by Satan. And Satan literally shows himself off as the one who has so much power. Even before Jesus. So he's not kidding around. And the Bible records him as the God of this world. And he is saying to the unbelievers, however, I want you to keep your mind sharp about this. Because I don't think he's simply regarding the non-believers that are out in the world. Because look at this. The verse right before, verse 3 records, and if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The key word perishing came up. And regarding this, I read in a commentary, and this is what it reads. They are perishing, listen to this, because they do not understand the truth, and they cannot understand it because they refuse to. You with me? I don't think this is just a state of the unbeliever as in the non-believing folks, but even us at times when we choose to lock our ears from listening to the words of God, and when we focus on the elsewise things, at those times, the enemy pulls the same trick over us and tries to cast the blindness so that we cannot get near the gospel. Are we together on this? You getting this? I'm getting a little too wordy today, but it's good. The word should speak itself out. See, the blinding does not happen at once, but it is meant to be a gradual process. Misconception is what we're talking about. The blindness is not just the fact that you cannot see, but no, you can see, but you are led to see in the wrong. How does that develop? It's a slight manipulation of the truth. Remember what I said about my kids, right? The point is, you punch this guy. And the punishment should be on you because you punched this guy. 
But the justification kicks in and you try to sugarcoat this thing so that the guilt and the punishment does not necessarily fall on you. The enemy places the manipulation of the truth. The absolute word of God, he twists it by just a little bit. Just a little bit. You know, I'm a guy. I hope you could tell. Right? And being a guy, I'm not saying all guys are like that. Nowadays, modern men are not like this. But me growing up in a kind of not-so-modern times, I'm dirty. <laughs> okay? I'm very dirty. And since I got married, my wife made me into a human being. But until then, I was a beast. Right? So I would get a cup. I would drink juice. I would finish it. I think I downed it. And then I go for a cup of coffee on the same cup <laughs> without washing it. Right? And when my wife saw that, she freaked out. She's like, Daniel, what are you doing? <laughs> That's gross. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, dude, you're going to have orange juice in the midst of your coffee. And can you think about mixing that? Does that taste any good? I'm like, dude, the coffee overpowers it. <laughs> right? You hardly even see the orange juice anymore. The moment coffee goes in, it's just black. <laughs> Some of our older men are saying amen to that. Praise God. <laughs> but our younger people are already, already cringing and all that stuff because it's gross. But I used to do that. I didn't care. I put my spoon right into the peanut butter and just dump it into my mouth. And I go for rice right after. I don't care because it goes in my stomach the same. But you get my point, right? It's not quite the same. It's not quite the same. It's gross. Matter of fact, I've learned and now I don't do that. Praise God, right? But see, what enemy attempts to do is a manipulation that is done in a gradual, slow process. Have you heard about this story? I'm sure it's pretty common, but I'm going to try shooting it out again because I think it fits very well. The really popular assassination method in the ancient times of the old Asian kingdoms, especially. You know what it was? Lack of a better term, let me just say food poisoning. <laughs> okay? And that food poisoning is not just, oh, I feel sick. I have to just, you know, let it out kind of food poisoning. It's like literal poison. <laughs> being added in the food one drop at a time. If you eat food like that, you cannot tell the difference at all. And especially if that droplet keeps building up slowly, there's no way our human body can tell the difference. And the next thing you know, the king dies, the emperor dies of disease, the sickness, without knowing that he was poisoned to death. Are you seeing the severity of this? Because this is what the enemy is out to do. What the enemy is doing is blinding the minds of the unbelievers so we cannot get to the gospel. And it's not just, boom, change your mind about God. It's not that. But he starts tweaking the truth just a little bit. You receive a vision from God. You receive the call from God and God says, you need to pray. And you're like, yes, God. You received it. And the next thing you know, the next day comes and, Oh, God will understand. You know, I'm just a little tired and God understands. You know, it could be something petty like that. But in other forms, it appears in the forms of ministry also. It appears in the forms of ministry and the good God's work, even there, slight tweaking may happen and we lose focus of what we're trying to do. That's why I appreciate you guys so much when I come here because I could sense I could sense that pure heart 
desiring God more than anything. And some of you guys are like, oh, Daniel, it's good to see you. I'm excited to see you. But it's not really, you're not excited to see me. <laughs> you're excited to see what God's going to do in this place. Amen. You are, right? And there is that purity. But you know that at times we can sense in the presence of the godly congregation that the hearts are not quite there. Does that happen all at once? It happens by slow poisoning. One drop at a time. One lie at a time. And that's what I believe God wants to speak to us here today. If we give into that 1% slightly tweaked truth, you know what that equals? Truth as it is, but you add 1% of non-truth in there, all of a sudden, whatever that was becomes, it equals 100% lie. How many of you guys will actually agree to this? Feel me? Yeah, isn't it? We think 1% is not that bad. Slight little turn here, it's not that bad. I know the Bible says that, but in the context of what I'm going through, ah, it's okay. You know, there was a point of time, I'm going to be honest. You know, I wasn't so honest with my financial dealings. Because I figured to myself, God understands. You know, I told myself when I was, thank God, younger, I didn't really take tithing so seriously. I didn't really take offering so seriously. Because I always kept in the back of my head, God understands. Isn't God love? God loves me, right? God wants me for my goodness, my blessed life. Then it's okay. And I did that several times. And thank God that I was able to learn the real matter about that reverent worship before God. God doesn't want my money. But God wants my heart. And if my heart is lying about it, there is something wrong about it. That is the biblical truth. But yet we're tweaking it, tweaking it, tweaking it. If I didn't know any better, man, I may have ended up as Ananias and Sapphira. Do you know this story? Woo! I don't want to be that. It's a boom, strike, dead kind of thing. You know, literally the lightning strike, that's it. But thank God that we are brought into the picture of the light of the gospel over and over. Thank God. Can you repeat that? Thank God. Really, that you are in a alive, awakened church. Amen. You are. I told you, last month, I started watching your videos a lot. And, you know, getting prepara uh, preparation for this one too, I started watching. And I know you guys started a new series over the dawn prayer. And I was watching that. I was one of the viewers. <laughs> I was happily watching. I was like, this is good stuff. Thank God that you are in a situation where you are led to the gospel, the light of the gospel. Because the enemy is going to constantly draw you away. And there's a reason why I feel very convicted to share this in this setting of the EM Wednesday night service. Because I believe I am talking to majority young people. Even though it doesn't look so in this room, majority is a little older. But I believe online viewers, including all of us, this is for young people. And it's important for us. Because the enemy continues to pour his lie into the young people in the church today. Particular, I can't, I can't stress how many times I go in a conversation with my young people. Not just necessarily my church, but just young people all across. And the social matters are so huge into the minds of the young. And of course, justice is a big matter for God. Justice is a huge thing for God and it must be done. 
But the understanding of justice needs to be centered and rooted deep in God. If in any form, if it deviates out from it, then we are talking about a compromised gospel. In other words, non-gospel. You guys with me? The focus needs to stay in what would Jesus do in a time as this. But the enemy keeps doing that. What is in our blind spot today? What are the lies we are entangled with today? And I just wanted to point out a few, even though there's so many things that's laid out there, but I just wanted to point out a few things where particularly enemy is working to bring about the false lies to deviate our direction. One, it's about our identity. Our identity. Who are we? Proud Koreans. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know, right? Some of you guys are like... <laughs> There was a um, conversation, kind of a form of a debate in my church. Uh, it's a congregational meeting, and some of the adults and, you know, the young people, they're kind of like tossing back topics. And one of the things was the adults are calling out the young people saying, you guys are Filipino too, because my church majority are Filipino, right? But then young people are shaking their heads, and they're saying, we Americans. <laughs> I don't know where you guys find yourself in this, the scale of your identity, but I'm not just talking about who you are ethnically in your outer shell, but I'm talking about who are you inside. Have you ever pondered to think about that? Especially the younger you are, isn't it true you hate looking at, looking at yourself in the mirror every moment, morning? Because you see all your flaws, right? Why is your eyes so small? <laughs> For me, I, I grew up with that handicap of why is my nose non-existent? Can you tell? Like, it's like, <laughs> I wish I had more defined nose, like, you know, like right here. Whatever that's called. Nose blade? I don't know what you call that, right? But I was like, oh, what's wrong with me? I'm so self-conscious about all these things. One scripture liberated me from this in true, full understanding. You know what it is? I know you heard this a thousand times. But may the word bring you freedom yet again. You have been wonderfully and fearfully made. Amen. In God's image. That's beautiful. Don't matter if you think you are ugly by the world standard. You are made in God's image. What more can you want? But see, that self-worth is immediately compromised the moment your identity is also pulled back. You equate your identity with the worldly standard. See what I'm saying? The world standard of beautiful, ugly, smart, I don't want to say the other word. What do I say? Unintelligent. <laughs> Whatever the word is, right? And you equate yourself according to the scale of the world, and that is a lie of the enemy. I appreciate, again, going back to Semmer Church, right? And I'm basically selling <laughs> the Semmer Church out here. But that the value, the most important value is a character of God. Most important value here is prayer and the word of God. Most important value here is being close to Jesus Christ. And that should actually be the core value of life for all of us. Apologetics begins off and rounds off in that core of the matter. How do you define morality in this world? Have you heard this argument? How do you define morality in this world? And that question is added with another sub-question that says, how can you define morality in this world in absence of explanation of God? You can't. There is no morality in this world without God. 
There is no sense of good and bad without God. You see the point I'm trying to make, young people? Especially when it comes down to who you are, how you view yourself, it needs to be based on the true creator who knows what is good and what is bad. And he says, you are wonderfully and fearfully made. You're in my image. You look like me. <laughs> how beautiful is that? When we start denying God intended, God created, God given worth in us for whatever reason. You got to hear me out on this. If you start denying that God given worth, that God intended, God created being inside of you for whatever the reason, you have to know that you are actually beginning to deny God's perfection. And you're starting to question all the things that God plans to do. Do you understand? Thus, it's not just a simple, I have a low self-esteem. <laughs> it's not just this. The moment you pull yourself down the, the rut and you start pulling yourself into the swamp, you're not only bringing yourself down, but you are distancing from God's truth. The enemy's strategy is hitting right on as the blindness covers you from the light of the gospel. Do you understand? Second about God's blessing. We become trapped, especially in church like this, no? Because our adults are pretty awesome. Soft amen, okay, amen, <laughs> right? I know you're saying amen inside because our adults, they're prayer warriors. I see it. I'm most, I actually want to copy this, Pastor Jung. I want to copy this at my church. I want to just post all the testimonies every week. That's pretty awesome. That's showing sign of life at church. See, our adults are pretty awesome. And because of that, we're pressured a little bit, right? So we begin to think that God's blessing is in the form that should be looking at as supernatural. <laughs> if it's not quite supernatural, <laughs> we don't identify it as God's blessing. We fall in that mistake. Do anybody? I don't want to see the hands out, but in your heart. Maybe it's you. You feel like the blessings that you are asking for. God, answer my prayer, answer my prayer. But every time you feel like God's not doing anything because you're not getting that supernatural, divine, heavens open up, Red Sea split in, and then the staff comes up and it starts speaking to your face and says, I will bless you. It doesn't do that. Therefore, you don't feel like you're being blessed. I want you to know something, perhaps, that you don't think about so much. I'm sure you've heard it before, but I think you're going to be shocked by it today. Here's the thing that I want to tell you. Not being able to catch God's present help and blessing in our daily moment is a curse. It's a curse. It's not just a matter of, oh, I just, I'm, I'm just ignorant. I'm just oblivious to what God's, it's a curse. Again, what is that related to? Blindness. Because we're blind, we cannot see. Now, the reason why I appreciate what Semmer Church is doing with the testimony is to show that God is present in the every daily moment. God is present in any sort of people that's calling on God. Because surely you know that's the promise of God. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Anyone calls on God, God will answer. And the sign of that is true blessing. So today, I want you to strive. One thing I want you to pray for as we're getting near towards it is to pray for God, open my eyes to ordinary blessings. You guys understand what I just said? 
Open my eyes to ordinary blessings of every day. Let me see your breath, your hand, your, your fingerprint in every moment of my time and be filled with the heart of gratitude for the ordinary blessing. If we're able to do that, see, that's why the enemy blinds us. So he wants to make sure you don't see the good news as it is. That's why gospel feels so obsolete. Gospel sounds like old historian stuff that's belonging to the museums. But it's not. It's today. It's my life. It's you and I. This is where the gospel is exuding so much power. We need to experience it. We can. All we got to do is what? Take the blindness off. Amen. Can you do that? Take the blindness off. <laughs> you guys are not really responding to these kind of motion and responses and whatnot. But it's all right. It's all good. Um, Third and the last is the reality of God. To think that believing in Jesus will only bring sunny days is a naive misunderstanding. You know that, right? Believing in God actually brings you a lot more hardship. Look, let me get real with you. I started talking about this last month. But one of the things that I believe, and may I dare say, and this may be a little bit iffy for me to say, but I'm going to say it and just put it on me if you don't like it. I don't think we're going to be able to see the kinds of revivals that we saw in the generations past us anymore. I don't think we're able to live through time like that anymore. It's a revival, but in a different form. It's a revival of the lives being changed in a different manner. It's not going to be like the Billy Graham heydays when there's like, what was that? It's not just thousands. What was that? Like tens of thousands? People just gather on every one of the rallies. I don't think it's calls for that kind of time anymore. It's just not. You look out in the world and you see what I'm saying. To pull together for the sake of God in the midst of this time, it's not that kind of time anymore. Having said that, right, you come through a times when you pray for good work of God to be done in our church and you get discouraged because you don't quite see these results. And you start thinking to yourself, am I the problem? <laughs> Does God not like our church? Why is this happening? <laughs> Who's causing this? Whose sin is this? You know, there was a story just like that. A dude was born blind. And the whole Pharisees pointed out and said to Jesus, whose sin caused him to be blind? And you know what Jesus says? It is to reveal my glory <laughs> that he is going through, enjoying through this time. And I believe in God's reality of things, God is not only promising the bestest of the times, but God is giving us moments of our lowliest. How many of you guys feel that? Be honest. You feel like you're in like a, here's a high, here's a mid, here's a low. Like where do you see yourself being? <laughs> no hand gestures, but you're just nodding. So I'm supposed to imagine where you're at, right? <laughs> My assumption is probably around here because I sense that from this generation a lot. Only a few from the young people are really vibrant with their life and going at it. And it's not just to say they're doing something crazy good. It's just a rarity of our kinds. 
Because our times, our church, our society, our community speaks a very different culture. And because of it, there is a lot of difficulties that lay out. But we, as a generation growing in this time, we only have the older model of our generation who has lived through revival, which makes you feel more as a failure. But I want you to know that even these quote-unquote failures happened for God's purpose. And an example I draw out is from John chapter 11. You know the shortest verse ever in the Bible? Does anybody know that? The shortest verse. Yeah, there you go. Jesus wept. <laughs> That's it. You know what the context of this was? It's pretty ridiculous. You know Lazarus, Mary Martha, the brother, the dude, right? He's terminally ill and they're trying to get his attention because they full-on believe Jesus can heal no matter what. So they got Jesus' attention. And you know what happens? What's very strange about it? Jesus hears, oh, I love so-and-so. And he stays two more days where he is. You with me? Did you get that? I missed this so many times when I read through this. But he is recorded to have just stayed in the same house, not going where Lazarus was, but he stayed the extra days. And when he arrived, <laughs> Mary, bawling it, Jesus, if you were here, Lazarus would have been healed. But I still believe you could do amazing things. Kind of crazy of a woman that she is, right? But she's basically lamenting and saying all these things, and it's valid, isn't it? Think about it. Isn't it valid? Friends, it's pretty valid. Because if Jesus appeared much earlier with all the blessing as we know it, it would have just changed the whole picture. But that's not what happened. Jesus lingered. He dawdled. <laughs> he should have just popped. But he didn't. Look here today. There's some chairs that are empty. And you're thinking, why aren't the people here? <laughs> today I was supposed to bring eight other guys with me. All of them canceled on me. At the last second. You know how disturbing that is? <laughs> I begin to think, is it me? <laughs> if it was any other guest speaker, would they have come? You know? But it's not. Things like that may happen. See, Bible doesn't exactly record why Jesus lingered. But we can understand the context of what goes on. You know what Jesus says? He goes into the picture. And he calls out for the necessary work that needs to be done. And when he sees Mary and Martha weeping, Jesus weeps too. It's critical that we understand this. I'm going to quote from the book that I was reading. And I hope this speaks some truth into your heart. In fact, listen carefully. Pain is a place of special closeness with him. We can laugh with anyone but we tend to cry only with those closest to us. And the bond is strongest when their suffering matches ours because we know they really understand. There is no wound of ours he cannot touch, Jesus. He knows the end of the story when he will make a whole new, better world. He knows the end of the picture. He knows where this is headed, yet he weeps with us when we weep. You know what God is out to do? The 
kind of God, the reality of God that is being hidden in our time that causes us to go down, spiraling down to depression and hardship is because we do not understand that even in the lowest of the times, God is really there with us. Really. God is there with us even in the lowest, outright, the worst kind of place that we can be in. Jesus even experienced Sheol. He went to the depths of the, the death that we deserve to die so that he can share those moments to let you know that God's power is with you. God is always with us. That Emmanuel God is not just a holy religious saying, but it's reality. Amen. It's absolute reality. See, enemy is making this truth to feel like it is beyond action and response. The end of this all, the resolve can easily be found by what is said. What is being kept away from us is seeing the light of the gospel. If we could just get to that end of the tunnel, that's all that matters. Verse 5 and 6 kicks in about this time. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory, glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Remember that the intention of the blindness and the lies is to keep us away from the gospel, to keep us from seeing Jesus. If we know that, it's so easy to get out of this. It's so easy to find the right direction, to pull us out of this rut. We have to realize this. Being led by the tainted truth, religious people have fallen prey to misdirection of the enemy time after time. See, energy, effort being wasted elsewhere. I was really moved by a pastor choosing to preach on or teach about revelation and the end times. Because at about this time, one of the key things that really bothered me was how people were just talking so much about the different views, viewpoints of what's out there. How the end is defined to be the end. And you know what? I locked down, locked down to a couple few very simple matters that we really actually need to focus on. In the message of the gospel and continued teachings of Jesus, some people argue in the form in saying that Jesus reveals to us that he will take us away from judgment and the continued passages about safe haven. Meaning what? That we will not see the judgment that will be taken away. So some people just keep arguing on that perspective. The other side of it, Jesus continues to teach the disciples to be ready for hardship and persecution that is guaranteed to come. So some people are on the other end of the spectrum just arguing this side out. But you know what? I think Jesus is teaching one simple message through the both sides of it. The scary thing that the enemy is trying to do at this point is to blind our minds so that we become low, we become indifferent about the judgment days. Some of us fall into that prey. Some people fall prey into this. I think I'm going too fast. I got to slow down. In thinking what? Oh, by the time that the, hardship, the, the, the hardships and the darkness and the, the persecutions and whatever hits, I'll be with the Lord, so I'll be fine. Just living life like that, where there is no sense of alertness, 
there is no sense of awakeness to carefully guard your heart daily, as the word says, and just live in life in indifference. That is a danger. Jesus is saying, stay awake. Wake up, is what Jesus is saying. But at the same time, don't become captive to fear. On the other hand, the people are just being in fear about, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And some people literally, I've talked to people like this, saying that maybe it's best I just lock myself up in the room and just wait for the Lord to come. You know, this is not a new story. <laughs> you know, this happened in the history of time several, several times. People just locked themselves and waited for the Lord to come. And oftentimes that came out to be all like false direction. Now, I know where the time is at, and I'm not here to talk about the exact point of view, but I'm here to talk about what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying what? Do not fear. You are in my hands. You are in my protection, in my guidance. Do not fear, but stay alert. Stay awake. breaks my heart and what makes it hard for me to see is such a people that are so captive to this sort of blindness, they lose sight of the thing that we need to do the most. What is Jesus about again? Remember that Luke chapter 4 picture? What is Jesus about again? Jesus is about setting free, bringing sight, proclaiming the favorable ear. Is that ever going to stop? Sure. You know when it's going to stop? When the eternity in our, in our sense of the dimension begins, when Jesus comes back. Until that point, you know what doesn't stop? That work of Jesus that he came to accomplish. That work that he desired to see to non-perishing. To claim out people, to bring people out of the rut. And all this that Jesus wanted will not stop until the end, no matter how dark the time gets, no matter how difficult things may become. You see, the secret is this, and I'm going to end with this. Secret is very simple. We become lost and powerless because we don't tune in in what God is about to do. Because we don't tune in to God in what he wants to do, we cannot really exercise the fullness of his electric power, may I call it. Because we're not there. We're watching from afar. Y'all know where Cal State Fullerton is? I, I came out of that undergrad. And one of the things that I love to do was being on the top of the parking structure at 9 o'clock at a certain distance. You know what we see? Disneyland fireworks. It's pretty amazing. Because that firework is so big that you can see it from so far. But if that's all I could speak about Disneyland fireworks, that's quite poor, isn't it? How many of you guys have actually been to Disneyland during that firework? Yeah? You've been there? You've seen how spectacular that is? You've seen how loud and just... <laughs> it's just crazy when that happens. Part of the reason why we fall out in God's equation of full blessing in our life is because we don't tune into God. And we don't tune into what God is about. What God is about needs to become what I am about. But because I am not about what God is about, there's too many abouts. 
we miss out on the whole picture and the blindness of the enemy leads us astray. Tonight, the prayer that I hope to lift is simple. I want us to pray for this distraction and the blindness to lift from us. Particular, your age group is hit really hard. The young people living through this time is hit really hard because everything is being tweaked around. It's very common to find churches and the community of faith, so-called, to fall out from diligently seeking the Lord even. Oh, man. The tough things about today's times is that everything is compromised. Gospel is gospel. You don't need to attach an adjective to it. You don't need to change what God's trying to do because of whatever is going on, seemingly fitting it. Because the chances are, the moment that happens, the compromise and the enemy is going to win over. We need to refute. We need to bring this gospel to the fullest and fight to see Jesus. Fight to see the light of the gospel in us. So, with this, I want to ask you to come together in this point of prayer. I want you to come together to pray but before we do, just with your eyes closed, with your heart centered and focusing on God, you've heard a lot about the scripture speaking out what God wants us to know. That there is a blindness. That the enemy wants to place that blindness to lull your life. To put your life into indifference. Enemy is trying to do this work. God wants you to know because God wants you to spot those areas and be able to experience what God, what Jesus wanted to do. He wants to set you free from these things. He wants you to set, set free from those bondage, the captivity, a feeling like you are not able to accomplish anything because you are living by the world's standard point. God wants to reveal those things and God wants to pluck those things out from you. But you need to make a bold stands before God, just that one step before God to say, God, I want to see in the fullness what you're about. I want to see to the fullness of what you desire here today. Especially how you view me, I want to be able to see that here tonight. In your eyes closed, with your eyes closed, I want you to pray, Lord, show me these areas that has been tainted. Show me these areas that have been blind spots over my life. And Lord, point me towards the truth that is in you, Jesus. Point me towards a direction where I am able to see the light of the gospel shining in my heart. Lord, help me. Lord, help us. Join with me. Go before God in your moment of prayer as the worship team leads us through this time together. Let's pray together at this time.